Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, this episode is brought to you by Daniel Giordano and Katie Fry, each of whom recently donated to this show's Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com slash creative control and donate $1 a month, $4 a month, $8 a month, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you can, that would be amazing. And you will get a shout out on the show and you will contribute to keeping this show going. I've set a deadline for the end of August, if we can't raise $500 a month for this show before the end of August, it's no more. So if you'd like the show and you want to see it continue, please consider pledging today. If you've already pledged, eh, maybe bother someone else to do it. And exciting news, I just approved two t-shirt designs. Everybody who pledges throughout the months of July and August receives a t-shirt, a Creative Control with Vishkana t-shirts. There are two designs forthcoming. And they're pretty cool. I think they're pretty cool. So if you want a t-shirt, pledge. Again, patreon.com slash creative control for more info about how to donate. You can also go to vishkana.com or there's info on this show's creative control Facebook page. Thanks for donating. And again, thank you to Daniel and Katie for making this episode possible. Creative control with vishkana. I don't even know where to begin bellyaching about this particular episode of the show. My podcast-making computer died. The hard drive died. And it's gone. I mean, it's sort of gone. It's at the shop, and I think it's repairable. It needs a new hard drive. It's an old Dell. (laughs) It's an old PC, and it's like 12 years old. And it just works. It just always worked. I've been using it when I worked at CBC. I used it since I started this podcast, and uh, that's how I do it. And it's not great. I use kind of older software, but you've heard the show. It sounds half decent. So I'm waiting for that to come back. I hope it's okay. I haven't lost anything. If I had, you wouldn't be hearing this particular episode. I did this interview with Nels Klein last week, and it's a really great interview, and I thought it would be lost forever when my computer stopped. But thankfully, we were able to retrieve this file. I went over to the guy in Guelph. I'll give him a plug. Hopefully, he's going to make everything work out for me. PC Trust. I go see John Zhang, and he gives me this file so that I can make this episode, basically. I go and see him, and he's busy trying to transfer all my stuff to a different hard drive and all that stuff. But 
I was worried. I thought I would lose this interview, and it's a good one. Myself and Nels Klein, you might know Nels best for his work in Wilco, but Nels is a fantastic guitar player, and he's played on thousands of records. We don't know. I ask him, how many records do you play on? You'll find out. He doesn't know. I don't know. It's a lot. But he's great, and his band, the Nels Klein Singers, are coming to the Hillside Festival in Guelph at the end of July. And I've seen them before. They're wonderful. It's, it's going to be great to see them again. And Nels has a lot of interesting things to say about the state of music festivals and Wilco. What's going on with Wilco? They just had their festival, Solid Sound Festival. And uh, we talk about all sorts of stuff. So you're going to learn a lot about Nels Klein on this episode. And let's just do it. Here it is. Oh, and new songs. New songs by the Nels Klein singers, of course. How can I forget that? So here it is. Myself, Nels Klein. I'm not in my home studio. I'm... I'm at a different studio. It feels weird, but we're going to do this. Let's do it. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Far From the Matting Crowd, While We're Young, Woman in Gold, Just for Cats, the original 1979 version of Mad Max, Sunshine on Lathe, Love and Mercy, and more. And over at the E-Bar, Radio Radio and Tupperware Remix perform together on Friday, July 10th. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. More information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. The 32nd Annual Hillside Festival takes place July 24th, 25th, and 26th at Guelph Lake, Rain or Shine, featuring performances by Astral Swans, Bad Bad Not Good, Badminton Racket, Baskery, Battle of Santiago, Braids, The Brothers Landreth, Bulgarian Voices Trio, By Divine Right, Tim Chasen, Nels Klein Singers, Constantines, Nick Crane, Alex Cuba, Daka Braca, Del Bell, Doldrums, Echo Deck, Darren Edens, Eloquent, Etiquette, Everlove and Jug Band, Nick Ferrio, Jeremy Fisher, Frazy Four, David Francie, Michael Franti and Spearhead, Galacticats, The Good Lovelies, Great Lake Swimmers, Ash Grunwald, Alana Gurr and the Great Estate, Hungai, The Henrys, Suzanne Jarvie, Mo Kenny, The Cramdens, Daniel Lanois, Last X, Lee Reed, Lids, Look Vibrant, Le Luc, Minotaurs, Moonface, The Once, Nancy Pants, Doug Paisley, Fred Penner, Perch Creek, Poor Man's Whiskey, Natalie Prass, The Spring Standard, Jamie Stone's Lomax Project, Sultans of String, Tommy Crest, Team, Thus Owl, Tribekistan, Riley Walker, The Weather Station, Jason Wilson and Pee Wee Ellis, and more to be announced. For more information about purchasing tickets to this accessible event, please visit hillsidefestival.ca.
Nels Klein is an American multi-instrumentalist and one of the world's most renowned and inventive guitar players. Best known these days as a member of the popular Chicago band Wilco, Klein has collaborated with hundreds of musicians, most often within the realm of jazz or improvised music, but also touching upon almost every music genre human beings currently comprehend. Near the beginning of this century, Klein started a new free jazz ensemble called the Nels Klein Singers, featuring drummer Scott Amendola, bassist Trevor Dunn, and percussionist Ciro Baptista, and to date they've released six albums, including 2014's Macroscope. The Nels Klein Singers are playing at Guelph, Ontario's Hillside Festival during the weekend of July 24th, and here now for a chat is Nels Klein. Hi Nels, how are you? Hello, Vish. I'm very well. Thank you very much for uh, talking with me. Oh, no, it's always a pleasure. I like talking to you. you. You may not recall this, but you and I have spoken many times now. I, of course, recall. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But, yeah, no, it's uh, it's always a thrill <laughs> to speak with you. Now, where, where are you today, Nels? I am home. I'm in New York City. Good for you. Now, you've been have you been on the road a little bit? Uh, I just finished the Wilco Solid Sound Festival. I got home uh, yesterday evening, and um, I'll be leaving for Montreal to play with Julian Lodge tomorrow. So I'm just kind of bouncing around all summer. Oh, nice, nice. How is the how did the Solid Sound uh, Festival go? Well, I think it was really, really great. I'm always amazed uh, how cool I think it is once it's all said and done. Um, you know, I have virtually nothing to do with making it cool, but I do get to, pl- to play with Wilco, and then everybody does such a good job setting it up and executing um, all kinds of things other than just music. So it's it's really a nice community feeling, and of course it's lovely to be at Mass Mocha, which is a fantastic museum, but also a great setting for what is essentially a small rock festival uh, and as such, it's not as impersonal and potentially punishing as the average big rock festival. Yeah. Where does this festival take place again? At Mass Mocha, the you know, Museum of Contemporary Art, Massachusetts, in North Adams, Massachusetts. That's right. It's in Massachusetts, which I think is interesting, given that Wilco is kind of overseeing this, a band from Illinois. Why, why does it take place in Massachusetts? Well, I think that our manager, Tony Margarita, who lives in Massachusetts, uh, really, really enjoyed his visits to Max Mocha and saw it as having potential for uh, an alternative kind of vibe for a rock festival. And so it's really that. And the fact that Joe Thompson, who runs the museum, uh, is a highly sympathetic individual, and uh, it's beautiful in the summer there. It's lush green uh, Berkshire's countryside, really. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, it's much lovelier than Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Chicago, but but uh, uh, my guess is that it's also um, probably more uh, affordable to put it on there instead of trying to do it in a big city. Um, but, you know, Chicago has lots of music festivals during the summer, and that's uh, one of its greatest qualities, in my opinion, is its ability to sustain a lot of different festivals yeah. all summer. People in Chicago really like to go out and hear music when the weather finally gets nice. So we are going to play Pitchfork coming up, and uh, it's always great to play there. But I think that there's something very different about the atmosphere of Mass Mocha and North Adams. 
and that makes it special. Yeah. You know, there was just a, a, a fellow just went on uh, TV up here in Canada to talk about uh, his favorite music festivals in Canada. And by his count, there are 318 uh, music festivals that take place between June and the end of September. And I mean, you've, wow. been, you've been, yeah, and you've been around a long time playing music in, in, you know, various configurations, various realms. What do you make of this explosion in music festival culture? It does seem, have you noticed that? Have you noticed there just seem to be a lot more well, of these bigger festivals? There are. I mean, I, I do feel, I don't know about Canada, but I do feel that the United States of America is just kind of playing catch up to Europe where these maybe uh, more massive festivals are concerned. But but I don't I don't really have an explanation except for the fact that I guess it's a nice way if it's not too punishing to hear a lot of different music live and live music is where it's at. Uh, I think that it's also sociable. It's, it's a social event rather than this isolated listening event, uh, which we all cherish as well. Whether we're at home with our fabulous high fidelity systems or just sitting on our earbuds on the subway or whatever right um it's it's really what music is about and i think that that uh, it's nice to share that with people one of the things that happens at, at music festivals it certainly happens at solid sound because i've witnessed it firsthand is people make friends mm -hmm. and uh that's not really something you can do sitting uh staring at your laptop or your smartphone you know you mean, do you mean, I mean, I think often what comes of those festivals is that musicians make friends with other musicians. They they get to see a bunch of people that maybe they don't get to see as often as they'd like. Well, that's absolutely true as well. Yeah. Or we see people we rarely get to see, you know, for example, at Solemn Sound last weekend, I got to actually spend more than three seconds with my friend Bill Frizzell. And uh, and Bill played with various individuals. Ended up jamming with Charles Lloyd Quartet. Nice. And uh, and uh, yeah, everybody had a really good time on that level. Um, but I think I always uh, I hear from audience members and friends of mine who uh, come to the festival sometimes for the first time in this last weekend. It's just a good feeling in general, a community feeling, and, I, and they make friends just standing around. Uh, near somebody they just start talking and the next thing you know they're you know exchanging numbers or whatever and then i think that's maybe something to be said for festivals i don't know i think the really big festivals for me tend to be a little less pleasant you, you actually you used, you used the word punishing <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah. yeah i mean <laughs> i mean i don't want to single any festivals out but but i just don't personally have a desire to hear music in a in a boiling hot setting where I can hear another band playing while the band I want to hear is playing. You know, it's yeah. not my thing. Yeah. But yeah. we don't do that at Solid Sound, and I and a lot of the festivals avoid that. You know, the big ones are kind of tough, though. It's also harder at the big festivals to meet up with other musicians that you might know because of the, the general distance, security, all those things. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Now, you, earlier you said, I don't have much to do with solid sound being cool. Who actually curates it? Do you have any any input into, like, maybe this, maybe we can get so-and-so to play? Yeah, I mean, there's, that, that happens every every other year, yes. There is discussion. But all the, the grunt work goes to our management uh, office, Tony Margarita Management. And so it's, it's a combination of Jeff and Tony Margarita, Jeff Tweedy, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and also the people in the office, not just 
getting people to play but and selecting them or whatever, but it also has to do with getting uh, people on site to provide healthy food and uh, staff that will make sure everybody gets the water they need without gouging and free parking and uh, cool things to buy. You know, uh, Euclid Records sets up every time we do this, and there's a lot of cool vinyl. Uh, the museum itself, of course, is really quite wondrous, so you can stroll around in the, uh, the different Sala Witt floors. They had a Jim Shaw show that was uh, called Entertaining Doubts. It was quite astonishing, I thought. Hmm. Uh, the Anselm Kiefer show, it's, it's more than just, you know, some rock and roll and a big tent or whatever. Yeah, no, it sounds cool. I sh- I, it, it happens every year, right? i got to go to this thing. Every other year. I think we decided that it's just we'd spend all our time trying to put it on all during setting it up all year so it's every other year right of course there's, there's the actual new documentary called every other summer i should have figured that out mathematically uh i need to watch that actually but yeah there is <laughs> oh you haven't had a chance to watch it yet eh no not yet interesting okay and now you are a busy guy i'm curious how often do the nels klein singers actually get together to play these days well, not all that often, but we did do uh, a tour of Europe this year uh, in the early spring, and uh, I did this expanded version of the band at Victoriaville a few weeks ago, and uh, we've got some other stuff coming up, but, uh, you know, whenever I can, we have a couple of recording projects I'm working up to next year, so I'm, I'm hoping to get that and then do a lot more playing, and uh, Julian Lodge and I have been doing these little tour hits, and uh, and I've been doing some some road work with Norton Wisdom, the painter in our duo called Stained Radiant. Hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to keep uh, keep it all going in between Wilco engagements. But uh, I don't know; it's uh, it's been more singers' activity the last year than than in previous couple of years, I think. Yeah, it, it, by the sounds of it, it has. I'm curious about this expanded edition at Victoriaville. Who participated with you? Well, in addition to uh, uh, Trevor and Scott and Ciro, I had Zena Parkins, Mark Rebo, and Brian Marcello. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And, and that was a one-off? That's not going to happen again? Uh, well, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> I was I was thinking of it as a one-off, but uh, I certainly feel that that I and perhaps my uh, comrades as well would like to repeat the experience someday. Hmm. This was the fact that this ha- occurred was because these other folks were uh, booked to play as well. No, no, it be- occurred because Michelle Levasseur wanted me to do a larger band. And the singers, so I did. Oh, okay. And uh, Mark Rebo did happen to be there. Uh, he and I have enjoyed playing mostly duo together a little bit in the last two or three years. But uh, uh, Zina and Brian were uh, flown in, and and uh, yeah, these are the people I wanted. Nice. No, it's uh, that sounds uh, amazing. Was this documented in any way? Can we see it? Can we hear it? The performance. That's I mean? a really good question. I'm glad you asked that question because I've been, I've been, uh, I've been wondering. I did uh, send in an email with that question about probably a month ago, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I never got an answer. Oh, okay. I didn't set up. I didn't set up specifically any documentaries myself. 
I always forget to do these things. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a lot of projects and things on the go. It's hard to keep track of everything. Uh, did you, in this large ensemble, did you play off of uh, Nels Klein singer compositions? Or were you completely improvising? Oh, uh, no, it's compositions, uh, singer's material, one old piece from a record I did uh, in the late 90s called Destroy All Nels Klein, called Chicagoan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a couple of uh, sort of extemporaneous, almost compositions, just to uh, feature sort of maybe a different feeling or a different groove. So, right. um, but it was mostly singers' material, and we also did uh, an Arnold Coleman piece called Sadness, and uh, that was the show. Okay, interesting. Now, did you, Mark Ribot recently made the news because he sent an open letter to Steve Albini? Did you have a chat with him about that at all? <laughs> I, I somehow saw this through my email, but no, I have not spoken with him about this. I should maybe track Mark down about this, but basically they were having a copyright discussion. Steve was suggesting in recent statements that, uh, uh, from my understanding, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I might get this wrong, but I think Steve was saying that traditional copyright was dead. Uh, and that people who are fighting to maintain that sort of model are going to get left behind. And Mark was adamant that that can't be true. And, you know, musicians had to be yeah. compensated somehow. So that was the gist of it, I think. Mark is our fearless and tireless sort of union organizer type. And uh, I tip my hat to him. And he's working really hard for a lot of people who uh, I think find it extremely difficult, if not impossible, to get any remuneration for their work. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether traditional copyright is dead, I still think that that uh, it'd be really nice for people who are finding it impossible to make a living who were previously doing uh, really okay and continuing to do important work, uh, that somebody needs to be their advocate and not just Mark. <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't really examined Albini's argument all that carefully, and, and I'm sure it has some merit. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and Albini can be a rather uh, contrarian individual in general. Anyway, it's part of his charm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's fair. I didn't really think of Mark as someone who would make... I've, I've encountered Mark, I've seen Mark play, I've spoken with Mark. Uh, I, I didn't really think of him as someone... Uh, who would make such a, a, a statement, so to speak? But well, Mark's been working hard for the uh, Content Creators Coalition and uh, and all kinds of other on all kinds of other fronts. Right. Okay. So I just I just didn't realize that. That's interesting. All right. Yeah. Now uh, let's get back to the, the the singers a little bit. In terms of production, um, I've been finding Macroscope to be one of the most sonically adventurous singers' records I've heard. Uh, do you have any insight on? What distinguishes this album from previous ones you've made together? Well, hmm, uh, if I was to be completely honest, I would say that that going into making Macroscope, I may have had less idea how it was going to come out than almost any record I've done. Interesting. Um, uh, I think that the, the studio record of Initiate had a similarly vague beginning, uh, our previous record, Initiate. Yeah. Um, but I knew on this record, excuse me, <clears throat> I knew on this record that I wanted to have my wife Yuka play some keyboards because she had been playing as a guest on and off on a few songs uh, on some of our gigs. Uh, I knew that I wanted percussion, and it was uh, Yuka, my wife, who uh, suggested that I contact Zero because I was I was kind of dreaming of having Zero play on this music. 
I didn't know if he would want to do it. Um, the beautiful, I guess, outgrowth of that is that he's now, I hope, really just playing all of our gigs. I mean, we're having an amazing time with Tiro added to the band. Right. Um, and then I'm Josh Jones on Kungas and Bongos, who I had met through Scott Amendola and who plays drums and percussion in the Bay Area, uh, Berkeley, Oakland, and whatnot. And so I knew that I wanted this palette, basically, if you'll excuse the expression. <laughs> and um, and uh, and I had this material that was, uh, in some cases, really rather sketchy. And I think that, it, and some of it I wrote uh, right before the session. We were playing four nights before we recorded at, a, what was at the time, a brand new restaurant in Oakland called Duende that's... Uh, owned and operated by a good friend of ours named Paul Canales. And uh, I wrote the piece Canales Cabeza right before we recorded, while we were playing this little run at this restaurant, Duende. Okay. And so so a lot of it came together sort of, you know, in, in the 11th hour, uh, the, the opening piece called Companion Piece was actually written even after the the San Francisco session and recorded in New York City. And uh, and so I think I was just sort of casting about for a vibe more than a focused, uh, I guess, sensible <laughs> uh, experience. And, and sometimes I listen to my records after they're all done and think, gee, was this really a good idea to put this song on the record? Uh, and I knew that we were going to do a vinyl version that had to be shorter, uh, as was also the case with the record I did later with Julian Lodge. Right. And, uh, and so I kind of enjoy the fact that the records are two different listening experiences. If you listen to the compact disc and the vinyl, you kind of get a, not only a different sequence, but because there are pieces left off uh, the vinyl recording, it, it's just kind of got a different overall feel. And I think the, the overall feel on the vinyl recording is very focused and it's uh dare i say it and pigeonhole myself it does have a certain uh intense 70s flavor for me <laughs> it does no it, that's where that's where i was coming from with it too there are there are some distinctive 70s kind of tones and sounds and ideas and i i, I was wondering where they came from and i, I mean I'm well also... i mean they come from high school that's where they come from <laughs> you know it's like some things you never get over you know and i've never gotten over you know, Weather Report Circuit 71 or 72, and I've never really gotten over Herbie Hancock's band, the M1 Dishi band, and yeah. Miles, Miles Davis, uh, uh, the late 60s, early 70s, and whatnot. So what we were at the time calling electric jazz before the F word was uttered. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a strong source of inspiration for me continuously, forever, yeah. it seems like. So yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to simultaneously... Uh, tip my hat to that and then, you know, have my own language be part of it. You know, I think that it's also significant at this point to mention Ralph Towner and John Abercrombie as, as inspirations around the same time as well. Right. Well, I definitely hear a lot of uh, late 60s miles in this record that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So I can, I, I, I gather, I, I, it's it's heartening to hear you talk about that, I suppose, just to, I guess, verify that that might have been a source. And and also, just to go back a little bit so people understand, uh, you mentioned your wife, Yuka, uh, and she plays or played. I don't know what the status of Chibomato is right now. 
Oh, well, you need to be brought up to date, Fish. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that they're they, playing. They, yeah, I saw they that they were playing. They put out a new record. Okay. They put out a record last year called Hotel Valentine. Right. And have been touring on and off for the last three years. They're on tour right now. I just played with them at Solid Sound, and they're uh, about to play in Portland, Maine tonight. Um, okay. See, I and I highly recommend Hotel Valentine uh, as, a, as an amazing record. Obviously, I'm very objective, uh, <laughs> but but uh, it really is amazing. And and uh, the Chibamato fan uh, in the '90s uh, when they were you know, doing all their new newest music at that time and, and touring, uh, this updating has been great and I've been playing with them as a guest on and off which has been super fun we were just in Japan playing gigs together uh, gee about two weeks ago <laughs> oh okay cool yeah no I saw I saw that they were back in action I just wasn't sure if it was you know these days bands kind of come and go bands from the past seem, seem to come and go and uh, yeah. it's hard to keep track of who's reunited for real and who's back you know or who's just here for a one off well, I could think of them as reunited for real, but I also know that they're, uh, you know, like many of us um, who haven't been like smash hits, they're, they're not super financially successful. So they'll do it as long as they can continue to lose money or something. Right. Yeah. I don't think, I, <laughs> I don't, I, I, uh, I think they're back for real. Okay, no, it's good, and I apologize for not knowing this. You have to understand, I'm a, I'm a, no, fa- I'm a father of two small children. I don't know what the hell's going on half the time anymore, Nels. Yeah, I, I, I have not experienced that, but I can only I can only partially imagine the intensity of that, but it, it's really not a, a deal. But I think I should also mention that that uh, for the last uh, several months, if not year, the bassist playing with uh, Ivo Mato is Devin Hoff. Oh, okay. The, the great Devin Hoff, former Nels Klein singer's bassist. Right, right. So there's a and familial connection there. It's really cool. It's really cool. He sounds amazing. Can you imagine yourself, Nels, like given the fact that you have probably 20 music projects on the go, can you imagine yourself having children? No. <laughs> it would destroy everything you, know, you do. Well, you know, my life trajectory was not exactly conscious or, or designed but my, uh, uh, I was previously married to uh, a wonderful woman in, in from the 80s into the 90s for 17 years. She didn't want to have kids, and my sort of longtime partner after her didn't want to have kids, and that kind of suited me, I suppose, because we had no money, and I just wanted to play music, and I wasn't successful at it, so... Uh, realizing that I wanted to get on the road and I was having great difficulty getting that together for the first maybe 20 years, um, it just seemed uh, a little irresponsible, I suppose. So I was comfortable with my partner's reluctance, if not out-and-out disdain uh, for family. So I just went with it. Yeah. And now, now I just play all the time, which is really really wonderful as long as the old bod holds up because you know certainly i'm no spring chicken um uh, i'm happy to be playing always yeah one of the most revealing sequences in the uh most well i guess not the most recent but one of the most recent wilco documentaries uh it's called uh, ashes of american flags right 
uh, yes, that live DVD. It's uh, a live one, but there's all these really insightful uh, backstage moments where you and Glenn um, uh, are are just icing down, you know, trying to recover from performing. <laughs> and yeah, I, I messed myself up over the years um, in terms of neck neck stuff, and so the neck being the the thing that connects all this other bodily activity. Uh, the neck being damaged has has been troublesome, and yeah. it it is a combination. I think we all eventually have this problem, just relating to gravity and age. But in my case, cavalier head movements and uh, and bodily interaction with music. Uh, and There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Without compensatory stretching and exercise, I think, and a car accident when I was in my team hmm. um, really messed me up. So I ended up with this brutal nerve pinch hmm. that was a pr- potential career ender, frankly, because nerves in my left arm were basically dying. And so I, I almost lost the ability to play with my left hand. So I had to start being a little bit smarter and it's really hard for me to, to stop doing the stupid head movements, but I am trying not to leap around and do cavalier things with a guitar strap to my shoulder. Wow, geez, I didn't know that. That I didn't know the extent of that. I mean, you know, you said something a few moments ago about in your in the eighties and nineties, you didn't have much money and you just wanted to play music. Um, I don't want to put too fine a point on this. Do you do you feel fortunate that you you are in Wilco these days? Absolutely. Uh, it, it's besides the fact that I really enjoyed it and I love uh, the band members individually. We're like family to me. Uh, and I like what we're doing. And I, my estimation of Jeff's songwriting talent kind of becomes greater as it's been 11 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it kind of put me uh, in plain view. You know, I became much more who plays the guitar than than I was before. This wasn't really my plan, and I never planned to join a uh, you know steadily working rock band. It just sort of came along and fell right in my lap in a way. Mm-hmm. But but beyond that, it also expanded, uh, and not to an, a dramatic extent as you might think. But to me, it actually is dramatic to have maybe twice as many people at my gigs with the singers, for example, than before. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's not necessarily that people 
uh, and Wilco fans are all rushing out and buying all my weird records that come out every year, but but that they're coming to my shows to support me and hear what I, whatever I'm going to do. And that has had a huge effect on just my own personal music making, my own music, uh, whether it's improvised music or my band. Right. And so that's, that itself is huge. And the other thing that should be mentioned is that the uh, uh, Wilco's management, Tony Margarita management, right away asked if they could assist me in furthering my own work. So they do, and that's really amazing. Okay. No, I, 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 get that. I got the sense of that, but I, it's nice to hear you uh, articulate it. Uh, we've spoken before about your background, so I have some sense of it, but uh, for people who may be unfamiliar with you, can you discuss what first drew you to music uh, as a very young person when you first... Do you have, a, do you have a, a sense memory of when you first encountered music? Well, the, the earliest memory I have of uh, feeling, I guess, the... The pull or the possibility of music as a little boy was hearing uh, the Grand Canyon Suite by Grofay, is it? Okay. Uh, and seeing the burrows on the, cover, uh, on the cover of the album and being able to imagine them in the music. And so, you know, it's programmatic. So I think that was possibly the first inkling of what music could be uh, in a child's mind. Hmm. But the, the, the growing excitement of music had to do with a combination of rock and roll of the 60s, which is when I was growing up. And uh, as we all know, it's a very potent time for popular music in general, mm-hmm. uh, and full of sonic innovation and excitement, which uh, part of which we could refer to as psychedelia. So very affected by that, very affected by the music of the birds when I was 10 years old, Okay. and and very affected by the music of Ravi Shankar, and uh, as such, you know, by extension, Indian classical music, which I heard in my elementary school when I was 10, and became obsessed with. And that event was the moment I very likely could feel and assess that music making was more than mere entertainment. So it became a much more important and much more intriguing and mysterious, powerful force in my life. Uh, That's what Indian classical music did for me. Uh, And then the the galvanizing moment was hearing Jimi Hendrix experience on the radio uh, when our experience was just a new record and, and that was the moment when I heard Manic Depression right. that I chose the guitar for the, for my life's path I guess. it sounds apocryphal but it's true <laughs> you mentioned uh, that you heard Indian classic music did you mean literally in your elementary school or while you were in elementary school no I, we, we would study different units so we had Mexico maybe when I was seven and maybe when I was eight we had uh, Japan, but when I was 10, we had India. And my teacher, Miss Godwin, uh, played an entire side of a Ravi Shankar live recording on World Pacific with Alaraka on Pablo. Uh, and that was the moment. Huh. Interesting. So, you, yeah. would you spend the whole year? You say you had a unit. You'd spend a few months on just learning about India? Yep. Interesting. Huh. 
That's a that's an interesting curriculum. I didn't. <laughs> I got to go to India in 1989 when I was 12. My parents are from there. Uh, right, right. I know this would be of interest to you. <laughs> um, the, the, the sad irony of this, or irony is the right word, is that I still have never been to India. I've been sort of terrified of going, yet I know I must before I meet my maker. So uh, uh, I'd love to have some kind of, I guess, first-hand experience, even though I'm, I'm really terrified of the poverty. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd love to go meet and shake hands with uh, Debashish Bhattacharya, the uh, guitar player, and he lives in Calcutta. Oh, uh, interesting. I know somebody who took a couple of lessons with him and hung out with him. Uh, and I'd just like to go, I guess, and have a, a, a not-too-punishing experience and uh, just feel all that all that colorful and, and beautiful energy, not just the poverty and the... Uh, hepatitis B producing items, you know. I think you'd, I think you'd go and find it to be uh, a little more modern than that. I, I, I went in 1989 and experienced a serious culture shock as a kid. Um, uh-huh. And also I was at a, a, you know, 12, 13, kind of starting to reject my parents more. So this was the complete uh. and utter amplification of my parents' life, and I had to experience it, and I was a sullen kid doing my best. But <laughs> but but I think that, you know, as an adult, I've still, I feel bad. My my my, my last grandfather just passed away, and there's, there was talk of my mother, uh-huh. my mother and I going, but we, uh, she wasn't feeling up to it, so she didn't go. And uh, and uh, and and that uh, the the fear of travel struck me the way you're describing it, though the fear, the like apprehension about going. But I, I, I think uh-huh. you travel all the time. You must, I guess, you mostly are going to fairly first world kind of places. Pretty much, you got that right. <laughs> Which isn't was not exactly, you know, wasn't really by choice either. It's just where the work seems to be. Yeah. I know a lot of people that play in some very very exotic locales. Uh, Wilco is not generally one of them, and uh, so far I uh, haven't had too many invitations to play in, in very far flung places other than South America, which was magnificent experience right. so uh, I you know I'm open but we'll see okay. we'll see but anyway certainly certainly the the tradition of the so-called classical music of India uh, has had a profound effect on me aesthetically and I would have to also say spiritually I can now that you mention this, I can totally hear it in your guitar playing. I mean, I was going to ask you, you're a unique guitar player, and, and I think much is made of that fact among people who follow guitar players and people who follow Wilco as well, and, and and your other projects. Do you see yourself as having a particular style or being idiosyncratic with your instrument? No. <laughs> I mean, I know that uh, I know this about you. I, 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 I you're a go with the flow. Maybe kind of idiosyncratic. You, maybe idiosyncratic. But. Okay. But no, I don't know if I have a style because what I do is try to uh, bring music to life. And since I have an interest, I guess, in various styles, I just kind of change a little bit, at least. It's not a lot at times to make that happen. You know, I'm I'm really much more into music than I am being a guitar boy. Uh, I do love the guitar. So, so let's not get confused here. I mean, yeah. I'm really a kind of a guitar fiend. But, um, yeah, I mean, 
it's really about making the music come come to life, and that in itself is uh, uh, extremely rewarding when I'm feeling it. And so this uh, again, I, I'm not trying to draw too much from when you what, what you experienced when you were 10 years old, but I am starting to see this connection between Indian classical sitar playing and your approach to guitar. Is that fair? Uh, I think you can hear the, uh, the the direct influence at times of not only the sitar but of uh, you know Srinivas and uh, Sultan Khan mm-hmm. and, you know, different instruments, obviously, you know, in Srinivas' case, the electric mandolin and the uh, uh, sarangi. I, I heard Sultan Khan when I was in college. He was a young man then. He was playing with Zakir, who was very young. Uh, this was at Oxenhill College in Los Angeles. Uh, the, the music circle would have concerts in Herrick Chapel there. I also at Occidental heard Alaraka and Ashish Khan and uh, Ali Akbar Khan and Zakir father son concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, these were very important experiences. So it's those other instruments as well as the guitar that had a, uh, an effect. I think I'm, in a lot of ways, very influenced by Vishwamohan uh, Bhatt and the Bashish Bhattacharya and. Srinivas directly because of, of the guitar and mandolin aspect of their playing. So I, I, I would think it, I found it a little more uh, apprehendable how to adapt certain aspects of my playing to their way of phrasing. But I'm not a scholar in any way about Indian music. Mm-hmm. I just love the way that music is phrased. And I also love the drone. And the drone, I think, has to do with as much Indian classical music as it does psychedelic rock and uh, I don't know it's uh, noise rock my or first, post-rock my, first, my first jazz aha experience was hearing Africa by John Coltrane mm-hmm. another drone piece uh I like drones. <laughs> That's uh, I, I hear that about Americans. I hear Americans love drones these days. <laughs> God, what do you think? I, okay, okay, <laughs> I, I walked right into that one. Okay, <laughs> no, I, I, it's a horrible. Uh, it's an unfortunate and interesting. Someone's going to do a a master's thesis on the connection between drones and music and drones and warfare. I don't know how that happened. The wording is boy. That's a that's a pretty upsetting thing, but this is the, one of the things about English that is so perplexing and I guess troubling. I'm really lucky that it's my first language because there are so many words that are spelled differently and sound the same, and there are so many words that are spelled the same and have completely different meanings. Right. But I think it would be extremely aggravating and and confusing. So I'm I'm glad that it's. <laughs> not something I'm trying to learn. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Are there current uh, guitar players or musicians that you you follow or feel are doing something special? And when I say current, I mean maybe younger. Oh, okay. Well, I get asked this a lot, and then my mind always glazes over. Certainly, uh, some of my my favorite people are their friends of mine, so I can talk about them. But they are younger, and, that, and they play the guitar. And one of them is Mary Halverson. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is Ava Mendoza, uh, John Dietrich uh, from Deerhoof is uh, has been a favorite of mine for many years. Yeah, uh, I really enjoy listening to so many guitarists here in New York. I guess a lot of them aren't really all that young anymore, like Liberty Elman and 
uh, gee, now, now <laughs> the, the mind's going blank again. No, no, it's uh, fair. It's fair. Because now, now I'm going to forget somebody really important. But but uh, those people just popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you follow? But, do you have time to follow? Like, uh, do you, do you pick up new records? Do you hear? I mean, you play a lot of festivals and things, so you probably are experiencing things live. But do you? Are you someone who still follows music? I, I really have not been able to follow it to the extent that I used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do try to listen to a lot of my colleagues' records, um, and I tend to buy them when I see them uh, at festivals or other things you know, where there's a, a merge table. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really, really do want to get over to the downtown music gallery here in Manhattan and, and make a, a huge score at some point. Um, <laughs> I am actually old enough that I still buy not just vinyl, which everyone's all excited about again, but I actually still buy CDs. So that's how incredibly retro I am. <laughs> uh, and I also meant to have to mention of those uh, these young guitarists you asked about, that Julian Lodge guy is pretty good. Right. And you've collaborated with him. How often do you collaborate with him? A lot. Yeah. I mean, this is this is uh, an ongoing thing. You know, we're, we're trying to do some new recording uh, in August, and uh, we try to play really as much as it can be scheduled. We're going to tour Europe next year. Um, and just keep going. We have a few gigs in the eastern United States in November. Mm-hmm. No, that's in October. Sorry, I take it back. Okay. October. And uh, and I go to Montreal to play with him tomorrow. So right. The Jazz Festival. Okay. Is it Suoni Poro Popolo that you're playing? Uh, we're, what, what venue in Montreal? No, no, no. It's, it's, what, do you know what the name of the festival you're playing? Is it just the Montreal Jazz Festival? or Montreal Jazz Festival. Uh, okay, okay, okay. That's, that's cool. Now, I, uh, you mentioned that you have a couple of uh, uh, Nels Klein singer recording projects coming up. You mentioned that you will be working with Julian. Generally, what's next for you? Is it even possible for you to, uh, to, to kind of well, <laughs> collect that data well, and next- present it? The next big thing has been done now for almost two years, and it's going to finally come out somehow. It's uh, I'm going to put it out myself, and uh, some of the people in the Wilco management office are going to help me with this. But it's a uh, a double album of orchestrated ballad called Lovers, and it's a concept album, something I've been thinking about for 20-some years. It's uh, produced by my friend David Breskin, and orchestrated and conducted by my friend Michael Leonard, who's also an excellent trumpet player and producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some original stuff, has a lot of so-called cover songs, and it's uh, 19 pieces from basically all walks of musical life, but uh, put together to be thematically related to the idea of uh, Love, intimacy, closeness, sexuality, uh, things like that. It's a mood music record with uh, maybe a more current strain of consciousness running through it. And are these... So that's are these that's ori- the next big thing. Okay, now that sounds ambitious. Are, they, are these original compositions? It's original and unoriginal. There's maybe about five or six of my pieces on it. Uh, as well as so-called standards and uh, pieces from movies, uh, musicals, 
Uh, Annette Peacock, two pieces, a suite of Annette Peacock pieces, Sonic Youth piece, an Ardo Lindsay piece, uh, and some jazz standards. Henry Mancini, Jerome Kern. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay, that sounds interesting. A Sonic, you're you're doing a rendition of a Sonic Youth song you mentioned. Correct. That's I'm not going to tell you which one. You're just going to have to be surprised because it's certainly a song by Sonic Youth that very few people, I don't think, anyway, have paid much attention to. But it was, it's a ballad. Okay. And uh, the songs that have lyrics are selected as much for their lyric content as for their musical content. Uh, and the lyrics will be part of the package, although there are no vocals on the record. There's no okay, so it's a purely instrumental record, and it's coming out under your name as as Nels Klein. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. So uh, and, lovers, lovers, and and do you have a sense yet of when it might be coming out? Shooting for January. Shooting for January. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, hopefully by January it'll coincide with my uh, and my twin brother Alex's 60th birthday. Oh, nice. And uh, Alex plays on the record. Devin Hoff is on it a cast of 13 to 21 musicians, depending on the piece. Uh, it's a, a really stellar lineup of players. Kind of, I really can't believe it really happened, but anyway, it did. That's and amazing. then the, the singers are going to record, uh, by invitation from John Zorn, we're going to record some of uh, Masada Book 3, the book Bariah for Sadiq. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, and then I'm working up to uh, finishing a suite of music for an original, you know, my music singer's record, uh, which I'd like to involve the keyboardist Brian Marcella in as well, and, and of course, Zero. Um, and I don't know when we'll get to that. And then, as I say, Julian and I are recording some more. And I have a record coming out uh, that's not my record. I've collaborated with uh, Whiteout, the duo here in New York City of uh, Tom Sergal and Lynn Calderson. So we have a vinyl release coming out on Northern Spy okay. in a few uh, weeks. And then uh, just had a record out of improvising with Colin McDonough and Michael Wimberly called uh, Radical Empathy. So, uh, you know, those kinds of improvised things tend to emerge. Uh, sometimes really rather accidentally. Uh, and so that kind of activity, I'm sure, will continue. Uh, and then uh, Duke and I are uh, about to embark on scoring a documentary uh, that a friend of ours has been working on about returning veterans suicide. And uh, we'll attack that next month. I don't, and I don't, then there's a lot of a lot of Wilco stuff, and you know Wilco's been recording on and off and playing gigs. So it's, those are my main things that come to mind at the moment. Yeah, no, that's a lot of stuff. I don't even know how you keep. Do you have any sense of how many records you've been you've appeared on now? I have no clue. I actually really don't know. There's a a very nice gentleman and a music fan named Paul who said he was going to finish my discography, which is now probably about 10 years out of date on my website, <laughs> uh, and he still hasn't done it, and I'm kind of curious, um, but I, I, frankly, records come out that I played maybe on a couple of tracks, and uh, and I never even remember, 
and nobody sends them to me. So <laughs> I can, somebody will come up to me sometimes with it and hand me a record, and I say, "What's this?" And then it's a record I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of that's amazing. That's actually really amazing. And so you mentioned that Wilco are are recording in in sort of bits and pieces. There's nothing uh, nothing completed yeah. at this point. Not really. There's a lot of stuff in play. Jeff's been very prolific, so we're just sifting. Okay, sifting through it. Experimenting. Experimenting. That sounds interesting. Wilco's always experimenting to some extent. Jeff's a, you know, he's a a man with with great curiosity, and he doesn't like to do things the same way twice if he can avoid it. Yeah. So we try we try some different things. I think that that sentiment came through quite a bit on the whole of the last record, and and uh, I'm I'm curious to see where where the band. You know, I'm a big fan. I'm I'm curious to see where the band goes next. And plus, I, I'm really eager to see what happens if Wilco uh, puts together a, a solid sound festival in India, because that would get you there. <laughs> no problem. I think that would be that would be pretty cool. You should try to angle for that. I think we travel with far too many guitars to make that a reality. <laughs> hey, you're just going to have to borrow some when you get there, I guess. I don't know how that works. Well, anyway, once again... That'd be fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> once again, Nels Klein Singer's latest album is called Macroscope. It's available now via Mac Avenue. Is that right? Is the, did mm-hmm. I get that right? Mac Avenue? And the band will appear... It's at on the... Mac Avenue, it is, indeed. I, I'm not familiar with Mac Avenue. What, where is this label based out of? Los Angeles, California. Uh, they put out a lot of uh, jazz and jazz fusion recordings. You know, they have like Gary Burton and oh, okay. Christian McBride and uh, gee, a whole bunch of people. Uh, and they put out the record I did with Julian Lodge as well. Okay, nice. Well, and, and so that's great. So the record's out on Mac Avenue, and and the singers, uh, the Nels Klein singers, will appear at the Hillside Festival in Guelph during the weekend of July twenty fourth. And uh, all of you can get more information about this at nelskline dot com. Now, Nels, is there a song from the new record that uh, I should play for people right now? Well, I think maybe an unusual one that's not too long. <laughs> it's called Respira, and Respira uh, has my voice. Yes, I've started using my voice uh, on the Initiate record, and now there is singing in the Nels Klein Singers, blowing the whole uh, hum- humor and irony of the name of the band. Uh, but uh, I play electric 12 string on this, and you can. I picked it because I was playing electric piano and Ciro playing percussion along with Josh Jones. It's kind of the. The whole cast, uh, except for Zena Park, and she's a guest on, on a track on the record as well. So she's not on this, but it, this one kind of has everybody. Okay. It's not too, it's not too long, and uh, it's a, compositionally, uh, I think, a pretty direct reference to a methodology pioneered originally by Ornette Coleman when he wrote Lonely Woman, but taken to uh, maybe a different direction by... Joe Zavi and Wayne Shorter in Weather Report, where we, we have a rubato written theme and a groove underneath it that's independent. And then it all comes together uh, at the end with an ostinato that is uh, distinctly, I guess, uh, has a samba element to it. It's, it's got a Brazilian feel overall, I think. Okay. Well, no, I, I, I appreciate the explanation. This is Respira by the Nels Klein Singers from their latest album, Macroscope. Uh, Nels, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your, th- your time, and I wish you the best of luck uh, with everything. 
Well, thanks for your interest, your continued interest, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the festival. Yeah, you're 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 basically an honorary Guelph person now. You keep coming here, and we appreciate it. I love Guelph, and uh, you're going to have to put those two kids uh, to, to bed with a good babysitter and come out to the show. <laughs>
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.